So if you have the ability to use technology differently within your company, regardless of what others are doing, that's what you should do. Get a little uncomfortable, stretch yourself, trust the technology. You know, don't throw it all out the window and say, I'm going to go for it 100% because you still have to hit numbers as well, right? But if you challenge yourself uh, to try new things and not feel so, I know how to do it and I know what works for me, and it's not using technology, like you have to sort of put that behind you because if you didn't do it 18 months ago, you for sure have to do it now. Are you a consulting business owner seeking a better way to scale to your next million in revenue? Accelerate Sales Podcast features other experts who have cracked the code to predictable revenues with proven sales systems that quickly increase revenue and get you on the fast track back to doing what you do best. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. Great to have you here. If it's your first time and you love what you hear, please subscribe. If you're a regular, I love those reviews, in particular an iTunes review. That'd be great. So we will be doing a full transcription and there'll also be links in the show notes. But if you want to take notes, please do. There is plenty of information to consume in today's wonderful guest. So you're going to learn three key things today. So one is 68% of a seller's time is on non-sales activities. How do we get to remove that? The second is how to optimize your sales. Now, this is coming from someone who has the experience to tell you that. And the third thing is how to become a student of your profession. In this case, sales as your profession. So as I said, this person does come from an amazing background. They're a global evangelist for Salesforce. They are also a Wall Street Journal top-selling author. They also are in the top 50 global thinkers list. So this is a list where the guest talks about it is some pretty amazing people. So she's done an amazing job to get into that. And as she said, she's just starting and she's climbing up that ladder. And the last thing is that she does write for some formidable magazines, including HBR, Forbes. She's been featured on lots and lots of TV shows, and she is a wonderful guest. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Tiffany Bova. Welcome, Tiffany Bova, who is uh, both an evangelist at Salesforce, also in the Wall Street Journal, and also in the top 50 thinker in the world, which we're going to talk more about that in a moment, Tiffany. But uh, fantastic to have you here at the Accelerate Sales podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, look, uh, why don't we just quickly cover off what is the uh, Think 50? It sounds uh, like in a very exclusive uh, club that you're in. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so uh, it's the Thinkers 50 list. And as it would say, there's 50. <laughs> and I am number 50. So I'm really glad I'm not number 51 um, because I made the list. But it's a list every two years that comes out from uh, the Thinkers 50 group out of the UK on the top management thinkers around the globe. And it's got people like um, the authors of Blue Ocean Strategy and Seth Godin and Adam Grant, Dan Pink. Um, and so it's really about those that have put out bodies of work uh, that have really helped businesses transform. And 
my book Growth IQ was uh, the way that I made it to the list a couple of years ago. And we're just about coming up to the list again in November. So hopefully I make it and I'm not number 51. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, you got to start somewhere and you might as well start. That's right. That's right. There's nowhere out. else to go but up. <laughs> exactly. So, so who's a perfect or an ideal client for you? Uh, somebody who does not think they're an expert. Because somebody who thinks they're an expert uh, is not open to new ideas. You know, the expert uh, is is always there to tell you why whatever new idea you have is not going to work. So I like a beginner's mind from from clients and from leaders that are open to the possibilities of what you can do and what is really possible now with all the changes in technology and opportunities we have coming out of the last 18 months. Um, but those kinds of customers and leaders are the are the best for me, right? Curious, open, listen, learn, you know, have conversations about what we could possibly do together. And, you know, with the pace of change, and like you said, you know, definitely with COVID, do you think people are more open than what they were, say, let's say, you know, 18 months ago? So I'd say both individuals and companies that had not made digital investments sort of pre-pandemic found themselves flat-footed. And so they were forced to make some of those investments. So I'm thrilled to see that they've been made, but I wonder if it hadn't happened, if they would have made them anyway. And I think they either would have kept kicking the can down the road, as we like to say, and putting it off year after year and saying, we'll get to it at some point. We don't really need it. Now, all of a sudden, uh, they've realized that regardless of what they might've thought in pretty much every industry, this kind of digital investment is really necessary. But digital transformation to me is twofold. Digital is tech and transformation is human sort of people and process. And so if you don't have both, uh, it doesn't really work. Throwing technology, bad processes does not make the processes better. So, you know, I think it's sort of this dual track of being able to understand um, what you might have been doing that's no longer going to work going forward because expectations have changed over the last 18 months. And, and then second, you know, what can you do uh, from a technology, people and process perspective um, to really amplify those things that you're now going to, to do differently? And only at that point do you get the sort of flywheel effect of, of what you can and leverage from a tech perspective. Yeah. And, and look, you know, I think I was very fortunate. I left in uh left Coca-Cola in 2011 and really I've been living in COVID times for the last 10 years for me personally you know I live in Australia work with uh, all of you in in North America and you know for me a lot of the technology that we've got now you know isn't it's well to me it's just what I was already using right so I think a lot of people have come in and started to use it now but a lot of it is you know not breaking through that next step. What do you see, being an evangelist for Salesforce? What do you see is the things that are really going to come and and I suppose leapfrog where we are at the moment. It's a great question because you know having been an individual quota bearing sales rep the beginning of my career using an Excel spreadsheet, a little bit of bubble gum and a post-it note. And like a Rolodex to me was literally a Rolodex on a table and I would spin it and see where it landed is who I'd call. Like that was the sophistication of my CRM system. And then I graduated to a single user version of ACT and then Goldmine. This was before, you know, Salesforce, sort of the mid nineties. Salesforce showed up kind of the end of of, of the nineties, 1999. But ultimately I'd say to you that 
Unfortunately, many have used the CRM technology as a glorified Rolodex and scheduler and where a place in which you could enter deals because if it's not in Salesforce, you don't get paid kind of attitude. Yes. And it was it, it, it's it's absolutely been kind of this input mechanism, meaning sales had to input information about a call or a meeting or a demo or an RFP, right? It was a place to capture. And I think salespeople have always viewed it as a way in which management can measure every second of every minute of every day of every week of every month of every quarter. And we really have to change that to being viewed as an output mechanism, meaning if sales is going to input all this data and data is being captured from other systems, second party and third party data, whatever it might be, what's the output that the CRM system is actually delivering to you or whatever technology, right? The output of should I call 100 people today and 10 call me back and two will close, play that numbers game? Or do I let the system tell me who are the 10 best, most likely to do something with me if I call, oh, by the way, with this particular set of content or offer or price or demo or whatever it might be. That output is what's valuable to sellers. Sellers don't wake up every day and go, my God, I can't believe it, today's the day. I get to data enter. Said no salesperson ever. Yes. But secondarily, right? Secondarily, a customer has never woke up and go, oh my God, what a great day. It's the day I get to go from stage two to stage three in the sales process. They also don't say that. So we have to find a way to balance those two things, right? Management and productivity input, and then the output of what can all this data actually help a seller spend more time selling? Because statistically, 66% of a seller's time is spent on non-selling activities. So there's a huge, huge need for improvement there. Now, imagine that 66% of a, time, a seller's time is spent on non-selling activities, yet over the last 20 years, CRM has drastically improved from the single user version of ACT I was doing in 1995, yet 66% of the time is spent on non-selling and 54% of sellers uh, will miss quota. So and that number, by the way, of missing quotas remained flat, if not gone down over the last couple of years. And that 66% of non-selling time, you know, minus COVID, it's a little hard, right? Because the last 18 months have been so unusual. So yes. pre-COVID. So if we can improve the amount of time selling, I'm going to naturally think in my, you know, terrible uh, state school math, that probably quota attainment would go up. So I feel like, you know, that input output around technology is, is a great way to make sure that if you're a leader listening or an individual contributor that are you spending too much time on input you're not getting output and if you're not getting output what can you do back to your question this is my long way around it because it isn't just about ai or machine learning or video or voice or vr or ar or predictive analytics it's not about that it's about the output right it's about the output of making me a smarter seller showing up with more insights when I sit in front of a customer, whether virtually or in face-to-face, uh, -face, that's what it's all about. That's, that's what sellers want. They don't want 12 technology tools. They want that. They want value that will help them uh, be better at that moment of truth, right? When they are with a customer. And how far off is that? So if I'm a now, let's say I run a consulting business, I'm doing, you know, million dollars turnover. I'm doing most of the sales myself right? When am I going to get to that next step? Or when's, when's it going to come to me? Because I must admit, 
for most of my clients that I work with, you know, I say there's two key things you need. You need the sales tool, no doubt, but you also need a virtual assistant or a sales admin person to cut off as much as that 66, as you talked about before. But ideally, I don't want to throw labor at it, right? There's risk, there's, you know, et cetera. I want to make sure that the technology side's taking more of the labor component. So, so when's that coming, Tiffany? I'd love to know. So that's the million dollar question. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say most of what I just described is already here. Right. You know, we now have voice enabled into the CRM instead of this, right? We have video integrated in. We have the ability to record calls and not from a, I want to hear what you said, but more from a coaching. Like you had a 30 minute call with the customer, Tiffany, and 24 minutes of it, you were talking. So let's coach you on asking better questions and listening, right? So those kinds of things. But I'm not sure, and I'd love to hear your opinion, Paul, is I'm not sure so much of this is, is the technology ready as much as are the sellers themselves ready? Because I think going back to what I was just saying, I think the attitude in a lot of sellers is technology is used to measure me and to see what I'm doing all the time. And it's about, did you call 100 people? Did you send out 10 quotes? Did you? It's all about productivity metrics instead of starting to weave in other kinds of metrics, number one, but number two, letting the technology, like if you are still running a sales team or you are a seller who's being asked to call hundred people a day, what a shame. I was calling hundred people a day in 1995. <laughs> We're a little bit later than 1995. It's been, I don't know, 25 years, really? Or would you much rather say, call these 10 people now? Your manager might say, well, hold on a second. If I don't have you calling 100 people, I don't think I can see pipe on the other side of that. If you're just going to call these 10, how do I know that those 10? So there's a lot of behavior change that has to happen. Uncomfortableness in the leadership and management to start to trust the technology to take over more and more of that. Um, and also something as simple as forecast or pipeline review meeting, pre-Salesforce deployment or pre-CRM or pre-pipeline management tool deployment, meeting with your manager to talk about your pipeline. Post, if you're meeting with your manager, the conversation is exactly the same, shame on your manager. Because that data and information should be in the system. Now what the manager should be looking for is what is different? What's happening? What little things can I, oh, I noticed that we pulled that report and Tiffany's talking too much in calls. No surprise, but Tiffany's talking too much in calls. So we need to coach her on how to do that differently. That's what you want the time to be, not to review a deal and information that's already in the CRM because the salesperson will go, why am I spending all this time entering it? If you're not looking at it and you're having the same kind of meeting with me you had before this. So a lot of this, back to your original question, Paul, is this isn't a technology problem. This is a people process problem. This is a culture management, not the way we do things here. Your very first question. Sales leaders who go, I know everything. This is how I do it. This is the mechanics of how I run it. And then I start asking probing questions around, talk me through how you run a pipeline meeting or what's the output, your top three outputs out of CRM. And they don't sort of know what I mean. And so I'll describe it. And then they'll say, yeah, well, how many calls my team made? Like, okay, that's your most insightful piece of data out of a million dollar CRM system. Okay, so let's back up, right? And so... That's why I think that adoption of technology is low. I think the integration between multiple tools is, is weak, and there's a lot of room for improvement there. 
Um, and then also freeing up salespeople to have a little bit more autonomy in what they do every day and not be so wedded to the productivity metrics of 25 years ago. And really, honestly, it's 100 years yes. or more uh, that some of those are from. Spot on. And and uh, one of my uh, old sales directors had a great saying. Was, he said, how big, like picture yourself in your carpool. Okay, yep, there. So how big is your rear vision mirror versus your windscreen? I'm like, of course, windscreens, you know, infinitely bigger. He's like, yes, that's how you should be looking at your sales, right? Don't spend all the time in the rear vision mirror looking at what, what happened, all right? Take that analysis, but look at predictive, what are you going to do about it? And I think that links very much to your point. And I must admit, I find that a lot of people, because most of my clients leave corporate, you know, they're used to the big um, sales tools, et cetera, and they still run their small business that way. I'm like, no, no, no. Like you said, you've got to use it to work out where your best time is spent. So use the data to then make better decisions and also combine that with the person as well. So look, I'm uh, I'm all for that. And I think I was very fortunate to work at the Coke company where that was ingrained in us. Like I think we had 150 sales systems globally and I worked on global projects of, of implementation, but I think that's where they really got the benefit out of platforms like Salesforce. Um, to do that. Now, I know that we talked briefly at the start about your uh, book, which is uh, Growth IQ. And uh, you said that's helped you get to number 50. And now it's going to help you to climb even higher in the thinkers list. But you talk about 10 key elements in there. One of them's about sales optimization. What do you mean by sales optimization? So before I answer that question, I just want to respond to something you said. You said kind of the rear view mirror and the windshield right? Let's flip that on its head. What if it were the data is the windshield? Where you focus is the mirror, the small mirror, right? Because the windshield is, wow, I could do so many things. But if we can say that the data is everything that's coming in on that windshield, and you need to be really focused on the smaller mirror, right? It's not about looking back, but think about it from a pure size perspective that instead of focusing on the mass, like to let technology help you be really focused. It's kind of like flipping the funnel. You want to stick a, you know thousands of really bad leads in so that out the end you get less deals? Or do you flip that on its side and go, I want to be less deals coming in, closing more you know, and more frequently on the other side? So just something I wanted to say on that, oh, right? Because I, think- I was told that in the 90s, so I think I now will quote you moving I'll forward. Take it. That's okay with you? I'll take it. But but this is what I mean, right? This is what I mean that I think, you know, that that I don't disagree with. I get the sort of analogy and the sort of visual of that. I I totally agree. Like not to look backwards. Let the system and technology look backwards. Let it look for the patterns and the things you should be focused on. But be very focused on your time. If 66% of it is wasted on non-selling activities and 50% of you are going to miss quota, like, we clearly have a focus problem, right? We have a time problem, and but we don't really if we can use the use the technology. Okay, so now fast forward. Sorry, to back to your question about um, growth IQ. Yes. Uh, you know, it it was um, my way of of capturing you know fifteen years of being a seller, an individual contributor, and then leading sales, marketing, and customer service teams, and then. I was a research fellow at Gartner, which is the world's largest advisory and consulting firm in the world for tech companies, really transformed selling organizations. So it's really a combination of 25 years of, of being in and around the art of selling, 
um, and doing it myself and, and helping companies grow. And that there was 10 paths to growth and one of them was optimized sales. And that was my way of having the conversation we've been actually having. 66% of your time is spent on non-selling activities, you know, and half of your sales reps are going to miss quota. I think we can optimize how we sell. And I started out with a fun story that, you know, demos, solution selling, winning, you know, getting to the top of your selling, you know, within your teams and making it to club. I'm going to ask you a question, Paul. Do you know what year those things were invented? I'm just going to pick those three. Uh, look, I'm just guessing in the 60s. So it was in the late 1800s, literally. <laughs> okay. Literally. So it was a guy by the name of Watson who went on to form, you know, uh, launch okay. IBM. Yeah. Um, but he worked for NCR uh, and started solution selling of, of cash registers. Like if you just walk in and try to sell a cash register, people can't imagine what it means. So he invited them into a showroom to show them how to enter it. And the drawer would be secure and that you get a tape of how much was sold. And lo and behold, couldn't keep them on the shelves. Um, and then it was the solution of solving theft and not being, you know, keeping good books. And so that was the solution sale. And then if you're going to be really good at your craft, we're going to create, you know, a club for those that that are high achievers. So we've been doing it the way we've been doing it now for over 100 years. So that was, you know, really the, the foundation of what can we do differently now that we have technology that they didn't have back then. Right. Um, and it, it started with. When I would meet with executives and they were having a growth stall or right, a quarter would start to soften, it was either you know 10% quarter over quarter growth, then it was six, then it was four, then it was two, right? So all of a sudden it's softening or they're flat to negative growth. That's what I kind of call a stall in, in this particular context of the book. I would hear these three things. We're going to hire more salespeople. We're going to spend more marketing dollars. We're going to cut costs. Those were the three levers they would pull especially if they were trying to repair that growth uh, engine in quarter, because, you know, it's very hard to correct yourself that if you're starting to see a softness in quarter, unless you cut costs, right, reduce the price, run promos, hire more salespeople or dump more money into marketing so you could fill the funnel, close more deals. And I believe there was more than those three. And so it was, what can you do with the people you have now, with the systems you have now to optimize them to get not only more productivity, but get smarter around the way you organize. Should you be inside, outside, vertical? You know, is it by product? Do you have solutions engineers on top of it? Are you selling through and with channels? Like there are so many things you have to, you know, ask yourself and answer that unfortunately you face something I call the seller's dilemma. As a leader, how do you transform a selling organization while at the same time hit numbers? And if you transform and pivot too much there, that might take a year to show itself, but you won't have your job because you've missed quota so many times. They're like, we need a new leader. So the sales leaders are trapped by the hit number transform. And so it's really important. And if you're a small selling organization, you're sort of, you are not the only person. And then you've got sellers underneath you. You find it very difficult to make the time. And so, you know, this is really about what are you doing now from a people process perspective? Can you automate some of that? Can you use technology to help you? Do you have the right training and the right people in the right roles? Like just, you know, every day spending an, a half an hour or an hour asking yourself those questions and starting to improve those things one at a time, slowly, 
you know, six months or 12 months from now, you'll see yourself in a very different selling organization. So that was kind of the genesis of optimized sales was it's not about hiring more or spending more marketing dollars or cutting costs. It's like, how do you improve what you already have? Because you've already made these investments, but they're just not optimized. Yeah, well, really well said. And I think, you know, for me, for the people I work with, sometimes they just don't know what they don't know. Like you said, 25 years, you know, I'm, I'm circa the same amount of experience. You know, 18 of those was at Coca-Cola. And, and the way that we were trained and the skills that we were given were, were exceptional. I'm still using tools now that, you know, we introduced to me in the 1990s where people just haven't had exposure to them. They're like, that's fantastic. I'm like, yeah, that was 1990. It wasn't 1800s like Mr. Watson, but it was still, you know, some time ago. So I do think that, um, you know, I see a lot of people say that I struggle with sales. And I'm like, yeah, because you haven't actually got the um, tools like you said, the tools, the technology, the automation in place to make it easy, right? It is easier these days if you let the tools do it, but I just don't think people do. And, and for you, that mindset shift of, you know, thinking it's as a um, someone watching you, big brother watching you to know this is actually for your best interest. What are some ways that companies can help with that transition? So great question. Once again, if you're an individual contributor, you might be completely nodding your head listening to this or watching this podcast, right? And going, yes, yes, yes. My manager doesn't do that. We still have the same pipeline. And you have very little ability to make that kind of change. And I understand it gets a little frustrating, um, but the only thing as a seller, an individual seller, you can control, you can't control your comp plan. You can't control the products and services you sell. You can't control the pricing. You almost can't control the technology you use. Most of those things are decided for you. But the one thing you can control is how you show up mm-hmm. at that moment of truth in front of a customer. That you can control. So it's be prepared, be knowledgeable, right? Be understanding, personalized, using technology to help you be more insightful. Like that's what you can control. So if you have the ability to use technology differently within your company, regardless of what others are doing, that's what you should do. Get a little uncomfortable, stretch yourself, trust the technology. You know, don't throw it all out the window and say, I'm going to go for it hundred percent because you still have to hit numbers as well. Right. But if you challenge yourself uh, to try new things and not feel so, I know how to do it and I know what works for me and it's not using technology, like you have to sort of put that behind you because if you didn't do it 18 months ago, you for sure have to do it now because the game is so different and it's not anything to do with Salesforce or it has everything to do with the actual customer expectations. In April of 2020, McKenzie did a study about what customers thought about sellers, both when they sold face-to-face and if they thought sellers were able to add value, be insightful and all of those things in a virtual way. Initially in April of 2020, it was absolutely upside down. Absolutely not. We don't think so. I'm looking for face-to-face. I don't think this you know, virtual thing is going to work out. Lo and behold, they did it again three months later and three months later. And by the time we got into sort of October, November, I, you know, I commend all of you because you turned it around. All of a sudden now they felt like they valued that virtual relationship actually more so. Could be because they weren't able to do face-to-face, but it's because all the sellers stepped up to actually be better at how to be engaging in short video conversations or, you know, 
you don't always want as a customer an hour lunch or a dinner or you know a trade show. You do want those quick 15-minute value-based conversations. And you guys did it. So that's great news. Now the question is, how do you keep that momentum going as meetings start to come back face-to-face? And how do you balance that? When do you do face-to-face versus when do you rely on virtual? And you may get a mandate from management of what that is, but you personally should set that up and say, look, I don't think it's time for me to meet with them face-to-face and here's the reasons. That kind of intelligence will come from the system, once again, if you start to use it. So there's the individual responsibility to make that commitment to yourself and to your clients. From a management perspective, this is where you have an opportunity on the metrics, the productivity metrics, and the the, uh, things that you actually track to put a combination of those that are really prescriptive and then letting sellers be much more autonomous on what they do and how they do it based on their own personal experience. Like, for example, I'd rather call someone than send an email. So you can't tell me to email 100 people because that's just not how I communicate. And then if you give me a canned one, it doesn't sound like me. And then it, it kind of falls flat and I don't feel comfortable doing it. Those kinds of things, that's where management uh, can start to let go of some of that um, perceived control that they think they have over sellers, right? Because then what happens is salespeople sandbag. You're not getting the reality anyway. So if you can give some autonomy, you may actually get a better return on those sellers' time. If you start to trust the fact they're going to do what's best for your customer, for your company, and obviously uh, for themselves in their quota uh, retirement. So that's what I'd say, because it's two sides to the same coin. Yeah, and look, you know, obviously, everyone, you've got to go and listen, or go and buy Growth IQ, you know, and if it's only, only for that, the ninth, but I can't wait to look at the other 10, Tiffany. So just one quick question before we go into the rapid fire, and that's about, you know, everyone's talking about how people now do a lot more, um, buyers do a lot more research. They like, know, and trust you from what what you're putting out in the world a lot more, right? And I know you're bringing it LinkedIn and and we run a community on the on the same thing. So I think that's it. But, but what does a, a seller need to do now to get better information on the buyer, right? Because yes, they're doing their research therein from the content you're putting out. But what about us? What what are three key things that a seller should be doing, whether it's with technology or without, in today's world that weren't happening, you know, five years ago? We just put out a new body of work, Salesforce did, called, called How to Sell. And, uh, you know, I, I put out a blog on it, um, did some stuff on Twitter on it as well. And uh, for those of you who have been selling for some time, you're going to be like, oh, that's like, that's so rudimentary. And here's what I tell you, that if we've learned anything over the last 18 months is getting back to basic. Field sellers have been field sellers probably for so long, they forgot what it was like if they graduated from inside to field. They may have never sold inside and only sold in the field. It's a little bit different of of a perspective, if you will. So getting back to basics on, writing compelling and good emails. Do you do a quick two-minute video that you send out to clients You know, on LinkedIn? Do a video message instead of a text message. Do you invite them to something that you think would be really interesting to them that has nothing to do with you, right? So sort of getting back to the basics of what it means to be engaged, engaged and selling um, has shifted. The second thing I'd say is become a student of your profession. Um, And what I mean by that is if you're selling into a particular vertical, what newsletters, podcasts, books, magazines are you reading in that vertical on a regular basis? 
First eight years of my selling career, I sold into the legal profession. Um, I came out of college with, with a pre-law degree. I was a paralegal, so I understood the mechanics of it. And then I had to go and take a class um, on kind of accounting 101 because I was selling million-dollar projects to a CFO. And they were asking me questions. I didn't even, not even understand what they were asking. The difference between contra revenue and what's WIP and what's this, I didn't know. I didn't need to become an accountant. I just needed to understand what they were asking so I could go get the answer and then co- or connect them with the right person to give them the answer or give them the answer. So becoming a, a student of your profession, profession is, is, is the next one. The third is I'd say your network, and this is not my statement, it is your net worth. Like literally building that network, nurturing that network, um, sharing really good content, um, I my one of my superpowers is 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 aggregating multiple points of view and creating a story that I can share in situations like this or when I'm on a main stage or in my book. Um, and so, what is your superpower, whatever that might be, and double down there because that's what will separate you from the rest. And I bet if I reached back into my Rolodex and you know back 20 years and went to an old client and said, "Hey, would you do something for me?" I bet you they'd say yes because. I always put the customer first. I knew and I trusted deals would come to me either in this situation or they might show up later when they leave that company and go to another company, but I made investments um, on that on that network. So those would probably be the three, regardless of if you're early in your sales career or you know, you've been in it for a while, you work for a small company or a large company, those, those really wouldn't change for me. Yeah, look, I think that's brilliant. And just as a quick example on LinkedIn, so now, you know, I always send a connection, email connection request for saying that, would you like to connect? Then you connect, thank. But then I send a little three-minute video of my story, right? So it's what I would say to someone if I was speaking individually, right? But what you can do now is use the technology where you've got your templates in the platform. It's all there. It might take you 15 seconds to do that, but it's based on the principles that have been around in sales forever and a day. So I think that's a great mix of those two worlds. But before we go into the rapid fire section, Tiffany, because I could talk to you forever, but we need to move to that section. I'd like to talk to all of you about asking you just a simple question. Like, do you think you've got the sales system to double your business through referrals. Most of us rely on referrals. It's about 90%. But as we mentioned before, you may not have the systems. Well, I've got a pulse check that you can take. It's nine critical questions that you can answer in about three minutes. And with those answers, I'll then have a call with you and we'll work through a specific plan, not a sales call, but a specific plan on how we can help you get to those benchmarks. So you're ready for the rapid fire questions Tiffany. I'm ready. Go. All right, let's go. So nice. Let me hold on. All right. <laughs> nice and uh, quick. So firstly, what are some da- daily sales habits to make you successful? Uh, consuming content, whether it's 15, 20 minutes, half hour, just consuming content. Yeah. At least they've got a podcast you can listen to two and a half times speed now. So that's uh, something that's great. So other than... Well, really so you just need to listen to the podcast really quickly. <laughs> Correct. I think for you, it might be it too. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how we go. So the next is essential bit of technology. Obviously, we talk about Salesforce, but what also is essential for you to accelerate your sales? Boy, that's a tough one in a rapid fire because it, it, it it's, it's so dependent on what you do in your selling role, because like even CRM might not work for you. You might be a field seller who that's it's face-to-face always. So I think understanding where you spend your time during the day 
and then figure out what's the most time you're spending. And is there a way for you to automate that in some way, whatever that technology might be like, even the example Paul just gave, right? A thank you out. It's automated. It's already in the city. You don't need to record every time, but if you're spending time two hours a day doing that and writing custom this and that, what if you created three or four and you could automate it? So I'd say the first thing is, Understand where you spend your time all day. Look for those big buckets of things you might be able to eliminate so you could spend more time selling. Yeah, love it. Uh, so I know you put a lot of wonderful content. I, I follow you on LinkedIn. What about for you? What are some of the sources for you to learn new content about how to accelerate sales? Uh, I'd say I am absolutely a student of my profession. I consume a lot of content through the course of the day, right? Whether it's Twitter, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's podcasts, whether it's magazine articles, whether it's books, um, I am consuming uh, all the time. And, and it has everything to do with informing sort of different points of view, because it isn't this way. It isn't everything I said is 100% correct. It's pieces and parts of it that resonate with me you know, and also, you know, what I'm interested in at the moment, um, I will dig deep into whether it's have a conversation with someone, reach out to my network, once again, podcast, newsletter, uh, book, whatever it might be. Um, so I, I am, I am absolutely a uh, carnivore of content. All right. Excellent. Well, the next question is a, a little bit different, but um, how do you give back? That's a great question. I'm going to answer this one. In my twenties, I didn't know what I wanted to do. In my 30s, it was always it was all about how much money I could make and how much fast quickly I could move up. Remember, I'm in sales, so just put that in context. Um, you know how much I could move up from a career perspective. In my 40s, I needed a break. I kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do, which was my entire decade was at Gartner, kind of learning my superpowers. In my 50s, I made the decision to come and work at Salesforce, absolutely simply for that very question: How can I give back to a community that has been so amazing to me? over the last 25 years. Um, so I do it by speaking at colleges. I'm about to launch a new community. So keep your eyes out over the next couple of weeks uh, on that uh, around this sort of give back. Um, and, and you know anything I can do um, from a time for the next generation of, of sellers and women in technology and women in sales, I think it's important to uh, see what you want to be. So that that's how I do it. Brilliant. Well, the last question is out of all the enormous wisdom that you shared today, what's one key action we can take to 10x our sales. I'm going to say what I've said a couple of times, and this is it. This sentence, become a student of your profession, period. Brilliant. And that might mean everything I said, right? Seller's dilemma, running meetings differently, investing yourself in your time, learning new things, new conversation. It's all of that. Remember, you can control how you show up. If you, The more and more you become a student of your profession, um, the more interesting you are when you show up. Brilliant. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. People can go and find out more about you at your LinkedIn. So we'll put all of those links in the show notes. And obviously, Growth IQ, it's on Amazon. And um, yeah, I highly recommend getting it. And uh, just quick question, is it on audio as well? It is. It's uh, translated in nine languages. It's uh, on audio and it's, you know, sold at your local bookstores as well as Amazon. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, once again, absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that amazing interview with Tiffany as much as I can. You can tell why she's an evangelist for Salesforce, but just for the sales industry in total, just amazing uh, information. I really love the fact that you've got to combine the technology 
with the people side of it. I'm a huge fan that the old is new again and that relationship building powered by technology is what's going to make you succeed in sales moving forward. And what you've learned from Tiffany, please share it on socials. She's prolific on LinkedIn, so please share it there. Mention her and all of her network will get to see your thoughts on what you've learned from this podcast. Also, there is a full transcription, as I said, and there's also the links to her book, Growth IQ, and other assets that Tiffany's got in the show notes. Also, you know, if you've got one, 10, or 100 people that you think would benefit from this show, please be a sales hero and share it with them. I know Tiffany had so many wonderful thoughts in here, why not get others to listen to it? So please do share that with you. Also, if you want to know if you've got the sales system to double your revenues through referrals, just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash pulse. Also check out past shows, in particular, some of the solo shows that I do, which are about 10 minutes each week. So please take action to accelerate your sales. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.